0: Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is the College and Kimball Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, and I know our listeners are very much aware of it, but I just have to say it. We are mere days away, people. Days away. From the 2022 college football season beginning in earnest. I cannot tell you, our listeners, how jacked I am for the upcoming season. There are big things in store for the Kansas State football program this year, no doubt, in my mind. I'm excited to be getting back into things with my co-host, Justin Nutter. We're going to be putting together a couple of K-State-specific preview episodes for you guys. Those will be showing up in your feed about a week before the Cats kick off against the University of South Dakota. You'll find an episode in which we'll be previewing the Kansas State offense for the upcoming season, and then there's going to be a separate episode dedicated to defense and special teams. So again, keep your eye on your College and Kimball podcast feed. Those will be showing in there in no time. This episode is going to be yet another installment of the Know Your Enemy Big 12 preview series, and I'm going to be taking a look at the preeminent program in the conference, the University of Oklahoma. I know the Sooners took a step back last season, but make no mistake, even with the new coach coming in and Brent Venables, this team is still very much going to have a large say in who gets a chance to punch a ticket and go to Arlington and compete for a Big 12 championship. I have a great interview with Keegan Renault of RPM Data that I'm looking forward to playing back to you guys. Before I do so, a quick request of our listeners, follow us on Twitter. If you haven't done so already, it's college underscore Kimball subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is we're on all the major platforms so you shouldn't have any issue tracking us down and lastly if you do have a few additional moments a rating and a review would be greatly appreciated with all that said let's play the song that everybody hates
1: play action here williams setting up going downtown mims is there touchdown oklahoma
0: Keegan Renault is my guest. He is the president of RPM Data. That's a football data analytics company. Now, that's a fairly recent career transition for you, Keegan. I know you spent twenty seventeen to twenty twenty-ish covering the Oklahoma Sooners, and admittedly, you were one of the most entertaining interviews I had last year, and I'm I love your outlook and perspective on the game of football so i'm very excited to hear your thoughts on the oklahoma football program as we get set to embark on year one of the brent venables era and as you might assume that's where i wanted to start the conversation there was a noticeable amount of animosity within the oklahoma fan base after lincoln riley departed and took the usc job admittedly i do understand the oklahoma frustration as far as the fans are concerned just with the way that whole saga played out at the conclusion of the 2021 regular season. But at the end of the day, this is still Oklahoma. That's what's so surprising to me in all this. This is a program that's run every iteration of the big 12, the big eight. You can go back decades and decades and Oklahoma has been the preeminent program in this conference. And it was just so surprising for me to see those sour grapes, continue to persist long after Lincoln Riley had left for Los Angeles. And especially knowing also that you bring in Brent Venables, who spent over a decade under Bob Stoops, who helped coordinate a national championship defense for Bob Stoops in 2000, who obviously picked up a couple titles as DC at Clemson. It's not like Oklahoma brought in some scrub to to fill the void. They got a very reputable coach and arguably the best defensive coordinator that was on the market have fans finally turned the page and are excited for the start of the brent venables era or are there still some of those lingering feelings about lincoln riley and why he up and left this program in the position that it was
1: it's it's a balancing conversation because i i do think that there was a silent majority of oklahoma fans that saw the program plateauing and that you know the things that they needed to continue to improve upon specifically in the trenches very clearly those things weren't progressing at the level that i think even an outsider would say if oklahoma was wanting to compete for national championships and so I think you have that group that was frustrated at that and was like, oh, well, now he's gone. Our problem that we thought we had is now gone. And, you know, you get Venables and the hire that with him, it's you couldn't have made a hire that was going to rally the troops or fan base more than Venables. And again, it's what's so funny because you've been around, you, you you followed the Big 12 your whole life. It was OU fans that were basically, okay. Brent, go to Clemson. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's funny how everything kind of comes back, but I, it comes back to square one with, with, Brent and, you know, he was here when the football was, you know, revived and that they truly were, you know, a handful of plays here and there, one in oh three, and an injury in 08 from winning multiple national championships. And so I think a lot of people have, you know, at this point they were welcoming to change. That's the best way to put it. and you know, it came in a very insane, crazy, wild situation, right. That I think, you know, I think nationally people are kind of still processing the fact that Lincoln Riley really just left Oklahoma like that, that happened. And I, I don't know if that'll settle in until the ball's kicked off for the season. And it's just not something that happens to Oklahoma. Right. So, I think, like, an outside view of the fan base right now, specifically if you're on social media, would say that they are very fractured still, that they are still having, you know, they're in the, uh, they're past the acceptance phase, but they're in, like, the angry phase still, right? Like, they haven't hit that, oh, like, it happened, Uh, it's over with, Um, you know, that girlfriend I had, that was great, yeah, she cheated on me, she went to USC. Um, So I think that you're kind of there, so in terms of, like, guess what you're asking, the temperature of this fan base, right? I mean, it's, like, hard for me to comment anything regarding Oklahoma football because, like, I don't know how it's going to be taken because if it gets taken as a slight, you know, I, th- I truly think that, you know, when I think of my aunt and my uncle who are big OU fans and my dad and everybody I grew up around right now, right, like <laughs> – it's kind of that Oklahoma versus the world mentality like it was whenever I was younger. And it's just, it's just funny. You know, you sit in my seat now, Jeff, and it's just like, you know, like Oklahoma's a 10 and two, nine and three team. I know we're about to get into it. And, you know, I think what's so funny is that it's become such a toxic conversation that, you know, Oklahoma may only win 10 games this year. Um, Like, and, you know, for me taking a step back from that ledge of, you know, multiple years ago of being an OU fan, it's just, you know, it's funny because that's not the expectations, right? The expectations are to win a national championship and anything less than that is, you know, not good enough. And so, um, yeah, it's just it's it's it just cracks me up that, you know, we're about to talk about it. But, you know, you can't have a conversation with an OU fan right now if you think, you know, they're going to lose three games this year. Like if that if you even think that's a potential outcome. Um, so for the vast majority of them, but don't want to speak for everybody. Uh, but that's kind of where the fan base is at right now.
0: Now to piggyback off of that, just knowing how college football is currently played, offenses currency in the game right now. Were you surprised to see them go with a defensive guy in Venables?
1: No, not at all. Uh, I mean, I I think I had tweeted this soon, like after the hire was made. I mean, Joe Castiglione sucked at his promise. He now Lincoln ended up being the guy, but uh, if Bob Stoops was ever going to retire, it was. Brent was always going to be the first call and, you know, pardon my French, shit hits the fan. And who does Joe call first? He calls Brent. Right. And so, um, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, Brent's Brent's basically an Oklahoman. He spent majority of his life here, um, here in the state or more with Bob Stoops. Right. So I think like by default we we go ahead and take him as an Oklahoman, um, a Kansas guy, I mean, he's from here. He knows this area you know he he like Brent is the epitome of what I think of someone from the Midwest, right? And I'm not including Oklahoma in the Midwest before people get crazy. It's a southwest state. Uh that's another argument we can get into, but um no, I mean he reminds me of someone that I would, you know, small town Oklahoma or small town Kansas or small town, you know, Missouri or Iowa, like he he is like Brent is this place, right? And so it makes a lot of sense. It made all the sense in the world to me and yeah, I think the the biggest thing is, you know, I don't know if, like, switch necessarily to, like, a defensive-minded guy, but, I mean, Brent's a drill sergeant. Like, let's, let's – you can't beat around that bush, right? Like, he coaches in a style of way that Lincoln Riley did not, and I think that for Oklahoma – Maybe a much needed change, you know, a, a room of accountability instead of a room of stars, right? Uh, a room of chemistry and instead of having two quarterbacks that don't like each other, right? Like there's like there uh, there were obvious things, you know, funny enough, this is the Kansas State pod. That's the best game they had played all of 2021 last year um, in Manhattan. They looked like a, a team that may go on a run, right? Um they just couldn't maintain that for whatever reason, right? I, I can't, I don't know, you know, truthfully what was going on, but um, the switch over to not necessarily defensive minded, but a, a coach that is going to demand discipline and self-accountability for on a Kansas State pod here, I think for everybody listening, uh, both schools would take that.
0: No, I think the side of the ball that's going to have the attention of both fans and media alike is going to be the offense. And I know, dumb fan and me, obviously, you're always going to be more focused on the offensive side of the ball. But obviously, you have to consider the guy that you're losing in Lincoln Riley and, and how unbelievably precise and efficient those units were under his command. And looking back at the advanced numbers from last year, 13th nationally in offensive efficiency, they were 5th nationally in explosiveness averaging 7 yards per play, and perhaps the most impressive of all the advanced numbers was finishing drives. They were 2nd nationally in that stat averaging 5.2 points per drive in which they had penetrated in which they penetrated the opponent's 40. It's gonna be really tough to replicate that level of sustained success. Now they did bring in Jeff Levy from Ole Miss, who ran a an up-tempo attack, and Ole Miss wasn't any slouch at scoring points last year, and doing that in the SEC always carries a little bit more weight. But what have you seen in doing your analysis of Ole Miss and how they attack teams and what concepts do you expect to see come over? and what's going to be this new look Oklahoma offense here in 2022?
1: The bear raids back. Like, I think that's the best way to put it, right? Like I think a lot of people are, you know, do their best and rightfully so to kind of ignore. And I obviously calling it the bear raid instead of coming from the Bryles tree. Um, But I, you know, I, it, it it is what it is. You know, like that's the offense that's coming to Norman. Um, You know, I think it was very apparent a year ago that, you know, if, it was at Ole Miss specifically. Like it was very apparent that clearly they had a passing system that wasn't efficient, but in terms of production, because they ran so many plays, it kind of balanced itself out. So obviously with Lincoln you had your high efficient offenses that were super explosive. You're gonna have a super explosive offense that's very productive. Now there's just two ways to where both coaches get that job done. Where I'm excited about Going back and watching, I've broken down every Ole Miss game from last year. I do think the running game, and when you say that, right, from an offensive efficiency perspective, like that's not the best thing to hear. Oh, the passing game is not going to be super efficient. But the running game is, like, it's supposed to be vice versa. But he had answers. So you go look at the Big 12 and the landscape defensively in the Big 12. You have Kansas State, Iowa State, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, TCU, um, Baylor, and then Texas and Texas Tech run a, variations of it, but everybody's running that three-three-five flyover defense with three high safeties, and when Ole Miss faced Arkansas, and Ole Miss faced Mississippi State, both coordinate, defensive coordinators, Odom and Arkansas, um, oh, what's the DC's name? Uh, hot, he, he's a hot name uh, at Mississippi State, escaping me right now, but when Levy and enormous played them, they had some really good answers in the run game. And obviously the deception of these defenses in the big 12 are to play a three high safety and forcing you to run the football um, and play station to station and not getting beat deep. So <coughs> pause. So whenever, whenever you do that, you I, you know, going back and, you know, obviously in the sec, they're facing a bunch of four down defensive lines, But when they played Mississippi in Arkansas, they had some really, really good answers in the pin and pull game. um, They had some really good answers. Very innovative stuff. Even some stuff that seemed like it was on the fly, Uh, specifically in the Arkansas game. It looks like they drew it up at halftime. Um, And they end up crushing Arkansas with it in the second half. And so I do think the run game is going to be better. I don't think the pass game is going to be nearly as efficient um, as what it was under Lincoln. But, again, you have to take into account they may run 20 more damn plays a game like i you know like they're you're going to get two to three more drives they may not be as efficient but you're still going to get that same production so that same kind of stress you're putting on your opponent to score points um is still there you're the opponents just going to have more drives to do it now it's not just kyler with a six play three minute 70 yard drive with a 40 yard bomb. Right. And you still play the same amount of possessions each game. No, because of the way Oklahoma plays offense, Kansas state, whoever they play, whatever it may be, they're going to get more possessions because of Oklahoma's tempo. So they will get more shots at it, which I guess the obvious hope from Venables perspective, right. Is that he has a defense good enough that, okay, I may face two to three more possessions a game because of what the offense does. Um, but we should be good enough defensively to maintain that. Um, I think that's the hope. Um, but the biggest thing between the two, it the bear raid, um, the run game is, I think, still going to be as good as it's been. Um, obviously, the last couple of years that fell off with the offensive line play. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of what the run game's coming. And there's some zone read stuff, right? I don't expect them to run Dylan Gabriel a ton. I don't know if you've looked at the depth chart behind them. Uh, not good in Norman. Pretty so, <laughs> With that being said, yeah, I mean, ton of RPOs, the screen game, the receivers way far apart from the offensive tackles, right? Very spread out. Um, I mean, it's coming. Like, they showed it in the spring game, so clearly they're not going to try to hide uh, what their plans are going to be. And so, yeah, it's going to be different. You're not going to have that beautiful window dressing, deep play action shot from Lincoln Riley that seems like it set up the entire game, right? No, you're going to have. Jeff Levy, who's going to run the same play 20 times in a game because you can't stop it. Like, that's the biggest difference between the two.
0: You touched on Dylan Gabriel, and I did want to circle back to him here for just a moment. Obviously, he put up massive numbers at UCF throwing for over 8,000 yards in a little bit more than two seasons as their quarterback. But at a macro level, were you surprised to see Oklahoma have to go down to the G5 to get who is going to be presumed their starting quarterback here?
1: No, I mean it was very. Once they hired Jeff Levy, it was very obvious if Caleb wasn't gonna stay, uh, it was they were gonna gonna go to Dylan Gabriel. So um, no, I and I think I think that in terms of like what was available on the market for quarterbacks this last year, they probably got their hands on the guy that fits this system the best. And oh, by the way, he played with Jeff Levy in 2019. So I think I think you just add in like. I just didn't realize how good of a dude Dylan Gabriel is. Right. Like I, and I was talking with last night on spaces with Eddie Radosovich, who covers the team. And it's just Dylan has that aura about him that people believe in him. And it seems like Oklahoma, the last two years in that locker room, Jeff, they just, they didn't have, even Jalen hurts probably wasn't received as well as he should have in Norman. Right. Um, But even then like Spencer and Caleb, You didn't, the guy in the locker room that everybody needed to look at whenever shit hit the fan, crap hit the fan, um, whenever that happened, their quarterback wasn't there, right? And I think that's the biggest difference. And I would say Oklahoma fans, in terms of being able to buy around uh, Dylan Gabriel, they're even, I think they've bought more into him than they even did Caleb Williams, who did nothing but try to sell himself to the fan base. So it's, uh, Dylan is. Again, uh, I think um, in terms of relating to his teammates and, like, all the things not accounting for his football play, what he brings to the table, uh, Oklahoma fans love. And I think he was very, very well-received. And, like, there's even part of this, too, where, like, you know, because of the numbers and production, right, like, a lot of Oklahoma fans look at it. It's like, oh, he's out for – like, he's put up better numbers than Caleb Williams did, and he put up better numbers than Spitzer Rattler did, Right. Um, You know, of course, me over here on the edge, on the other side of it, I'm just like, guys, 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 guys. Uh, So it's uh, I think he's been pretty well received.
0: Yeah, certainly didn't mean to condemn him as somebody coming from the G5. Obviously, UCF is getting ready to level up and join the Big 12 here not before too long. And frankly, they recruited a level that's comparable, if not better than what will be most of their Big 12 counterparts. So I don't think there's going to be any of that TV announcer talking point of adjusting to the speed of the game or anything like that. I think he's going to be able to hit the ground running. My main concerns, though, would be replacing Kennedy Brooks and identifying some other weapons outside of Marvin Mim. So in my mind, I think this Oklahoma offense does take a slight step back, but I don't really foresee that to be a major problem just given the overall talent that they've accrued on that roster over the last several recruiting cycles.
1: Listen, that's a first world problem for Oklahoma. We're talking about a
0: top five <laughs>
1: offense to a top 10 offense, right? Exactly. Like, there's an obvious difference. Trust me. And as big 12 people know, between the 2017 and 18 OU offenses and what there's been the last three years. Yeah. I mean, just a little bit dip down from that. Right. And you know, you're still having a very, very good offense. And I think, Oklahoma fans kind of like when you say, yeah, Oklahoma may regress a little bit offensively. They're like, oh, no, no. Lincoln was out the door. You know, offensive lines like like they still put up. a, They still had a top 10 offense last year, guys. Like it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. So a little little regression from there gets them in the top 15, top 10 offenses in the country. And that'll put them in a good position, I think, this season.
0: Now I wanted to bring it over to the defensive side of the ball and you touched on it a little bit earlier in that fans were feeling that the program was plateauing and I think a lot of that sentiment can be traced back to some of those perceived deficiencies on the defensive side of the ball. So to that point, what is Brent Venables going to be tasked with doing here and maybe where has Oklahoma been lacking most over the last couple of seasons on that side of the ball? Well, I think the biggest thing they were lacking was just they They had cracks in their foundation that
1: they refused to fix. And any good homeowner knows that you've got to get that fixed as soon as possible. Uh, and they didn't. Right. And, you know, they got beat the stuff that they got beat in. Like you go to the West Virginia game. I mean, just very simple, like air raid stuff. And, I think sound structure, discipline, the things that Venables truly brings to a defense, um, you know, play comes after that. I think by default, yeah, they're going to get better. I mean, this is in a defense that I believe finished in the, it was like a top 70 defense last year. I mean, they were fell from a top 15 off defense in 2020 to a, I mean, as bad of an defense as they had in 2018, Jeff, I mean, People don't talk about how bad they were defensively. Like they were very, very, very average. And so, you know, I think that they will get better in terms of kind of what you see. For one, I have to mention Clemson's defense is freaking loaded. They that is as impressive as a defense as I've watched on tape. I mean, similar to what how I felt about Georgia heading into last year. Like that's how I feel about Clemson's defense this season. And so. It's gonna be a step down, obviously, talent wise from that. And so what does Venables do? I think Venables does a couple things. He saw three three five in the spring game, probably gonna run it. Uh he's been he's been trying to run it for a couple years now at Clemson. Uh Brent Venables, I think, in the summer of 2018, went up to Ames and talked with John Heacock about how he can do more with less. And then lo and behold, six months later, Brent Venables runs the three-three-five that Iowa State runs against Ohio State, flips to it at about halftime of that game. Uh, they, start, they basically shut Ohio State down from that point. And so I think that's what we're going to see at Oklahoma this year. I don't expect it to be a four-down defense. Uh, Grinch technically wasn't, but Nick Benito obviously was in a two-point stance on the end of the line every single time. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this turns into a full-fledged, you know, three-three-five. I really, really, really wouldn't. And so what does that mean, right? Like, does Oklahoma have – I think the question that comes from there is, does Oklahoma have the personnel to do something like that? Yes and no. I think they have the nose tackles to do it. Do they have the ends to do it? I don't think so. Uh, do they have the depth in the secondary to do it? I do. Do they have the depth and linebacker to do it? I do. But obviously, edge rushing, um, as you know, watching Felix and Khalid Duke the last two years, um, you know, there's a certain body type that either you got to be an outside linebacker edge like Duke or be a monster like Felix. uh, And you can get away with that, even if you don't have the personnel to do it. I don't know if Oklahoma has that, but where they're going to make up for that, Jeff, they're going to blitz so much. I can't, I can't begin there. The, the the pass rush that they're losing in the defensive line from last year, all Venables is going to do is replace that in the aggregate with blitzing. This guy is going to blitz every chance he gets. It's the most, uh, I mean, as a fan of football, like it's so fun to watch. I mean, they'll get three guys on the defensive line. They'll blitz six. They'll get seven on the defensive line, only bring three. I mean, they're Very multiple. I mean, as you guys and listeners would remember of the Venables defenses before he went to Clemson, not much has changed philosophically. He wants to get after the quarterback. And if he doesn't have the defensive line to do it, he's going to bring a ton of pressure and then go one of two ways, right? Like if you're a good offense with a good offensive line, um, you know, you can catch him in those situations and potentially get some big, big gains out of it. And I think early on, that's what you will see. But in the you know, short term, what it can do is you look at the landscape of the Big 12 and you say, okay, what offensive line do you trust right now that could potentially deal um, with that kind of chaos? Maybe two? Maybe only one in Baylor, right? And so, yeah, I think it could benefit them greatly, but then you play a team, oh, let's randomly say this, they go on the road to TCU Week 5 after they play Kansas State. And Sonny Dykes is going to throw it all over the yard, right? Well, if you bring a ton of pressure and you're not getting home because the ball is getting out quick, kind of, kind of in a tough spot. So it's a, it's a catch-22. I mean, if you want to be that aggressive, you're going to give up some big gains sometimes. But I do think, in terms of like how that impacts where they're going to be at, like in advanced metrics and everything that at the end of the year. It should get better by four, three or four points. Um, I think when Venables took over in 2012, the Clemson defense improved by like 5.2. I think SP Plus has Oklahoma's defense improving by six points this year. Um, I think that's probably a little hot on both of those. Top 45 defense, top 40 defense, top 15 offense, that's probably the profile you're looking at for Oklahoma, which in turn should get them in a Big 12 title game.
0: You talked about opposing offensive lines being able to hold up against the type of pressure OU expects to bring this season. I think in the same breath, you have to ask the question, if the offensive line does provide a clean pocket, what quarterbacks are you really worried about picking you apart on a week-in and week-out basis? The elder statesman in the Big 12 is Spencer Sanders, and frankly, nobody really thinks highly of him as far as his passing acumen goes. You have Adrian Martinez coming in at Kansas State, but he's never played a game in the Big 12. Granted, he does have 38 starts in the Big 10, but those are your two most tenured quarterbacks, and they both have some pretty noticeable question marks surrounding their, their history, and you look on down the list, though, Quinn Ewers hasn't thrown a pass at Texas yet. You've got new staffs in place at Texas Tech and TCU, and you've got quarterback battles going on there. Hunter Deckers is coming in to replace Iowa State's all-time leading passer in Brock Purdy. There's a lot of unknown as it relates to the quarterback position in the Big 12. And if Oklahoma's defense does wreak the type of havoc you talked about, it's easily going to be good enough to get it to 10-2 and two or 11-1 and, and and punch a ticket to Arlington in the Big 12 championship game. And that's where I wanted to go to close things out here. Looking at the schedule for Oklahoma, I don't really foresee them breaking much of a sweat in those games against UTEP and Kent State in weeks one and two. And then we've got the return game against Nebraska going to Lincoln. I have to imagine that's going to be tricky-ish. I don't know. See, Is it? It, it? Is it? <laughs> are we doing
1: it? I mean, what are we doing? Like, like, what about Nebraska? They had the worst offensive line in college football last year. They lose all yeah, – it's just kind of the same conversation with Oklahoma, but you have – I think with Venables, you kind of be like, ah, well, now they have Venables as D.C. They can change, you know, be alleviating some things. They lose all their best players on defense. They lose Cam Taylor Britt, who was one of the best corners in the country a year ago. They lost uh, Doman at linebacker, who's a freak show. Both Ben Stilley's gone. Damian Daniel's gone. They 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 get. They have Ochon Mathis. I get it. Trust me. Big name, big transfer. Man, all these people are picking the Nebraska game for Oklahoma to lose. I think they're looking a week early, which I'm sure we're about to get into.
0: Man, I said tricky, and my hope as a Kansas State fan is that Oklahoma does take care of business in Lincoln because I would much rather have to deal with 3-0 and Oklahoma in the Big 12 opener rather than facing a 2-1 Oklahoma that is likely going to be extremely pissed off and hyper-focused after dropping a game to an inferior team. The Nebraska non-conference matchup just screams media narrative to me and nothing more. I think you can just hear the media storylines being built up throughout the course of the week of oh, Oklahoma haven't really been tested in the first couple of weeks of the non-con, new coaching staff, first true road game. And then midway through the third quarter, the Sooners are up by two scores and they end up winning the game 31-13 and no one really bats an eye. That's how I see that one playing out. And I, I firmly do expect Oklahoma to go 3-0 and in the non-con. But looking at the rest of the conference slate, I don't think you could have asked for a more favorable home road split. This year, Oklahoma's home games include K-State, Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Obviously the KU game, eh, whatever, but you do get three of the main conference title contenders coming to Norman. You've got the neutral against Texas. Maybe on the flip side for the road games, you're a little bit concerned about going to TCU after the K-State game. Maybe you're a little worried about facing West Virginia in, in Morgantown late in the year, but by that point in time, Neil Brown might have already been given the pink slip. I think Oklahoma has as good a draw as you could have possibly asked for. And looking at the win total that I've been seeing, nine and a half, nine, I, I think 10 is pretty well on the table. And frankly, I think that's more than doable for Oklahoma this year. What say you?
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. I, and I, But I don't know how they're going to get there. Right. Like I. The two toughest games on the schedule are Kansas State at home and Baylor, like bar none. Um, those are those in terms of matchups. When you look at, you know, Oklahoma and the way that they're built this year. Right. I think a lot of people are projecting that the offensive line is going to improve. And if the offensive line doesn't improve, specifically the tackle positions with Anton Harrison and Juanie Morris. If if that does, they probably have the best offensive line in the Big 12, and I think that's the ace in the hole in the conference this year. If Oklahoma has the best offensive line in the Big 12, it's going to be very, very hard to beat them. Um, And so you get Kansas State Baylor at home. I did do some research before I did this. I did not realize how good Oklahoma was at home under Lincoln Riley. They were like 18 and 12 against the spread. Uh, only Saban at Alabama amongst the blue bloods was better during that time frame. And he was 19 and 11. I think they were like 28 and two. Oh, by the way, what two, uh, what two games, what, what two teams beat them at home?
0: <laughs> I know K state got him
1: in 20 um, and Iowa state got him in 2017. Oh, that's right. That was they the were, uh, backup quarterback when nobody expected that one to happen. Zeb Nolan. Correct. And they were also 20 point favorites in both of those games at home. So, they were pretty good at home. I'm assuming because of the fan base being rallied, they're going to be a uh, home field advantage at Norman will mean something again, maybe, but two, three points, you know, whatever it swings. I am in a very interesting spot with Oklahoma where I think they roll through non-con. I don't think Nebraska is a challenge. I don't understand the hype around Nebraska. They have the same problems that Oklahoma has with way worse talent. And you turn around, you win a big game on the road that people think you might lose. You walk in and think you can get into a fist fight with Kansas State, who is a much better football team. I mean, from top to bottom. Um, and I think that's the game. Like if if Oklahoma can handle Felix and Khalid, who's back from an ACL injury, and I know a lot of people are super excited to see what he looks like this year, you got Two guys and Eli Huggins and Jalen Pickle in the middle that maybe not NFL guys but are still strong, disruptive defensive tackles. Uh, Daniel Green, you know, fringe NFL player, guy at Mike linebacker who's played a ton of snaps. And then they may have two of the most underrated corners in the country. Like Kansas State, you every you know you get through you get through your like pro, you know profiles and previews of each team in your head every year written down. Like I usually get this done in January and February, and you just. You go through it, and you go, okay, they've got quarterback, competent quarterback, fine. Offensive line, a lot of positive buzz on a guy named Andrew Gang. Obviously, you have Christian Duffy opposite of him. Uh, Cooper Beebe is probably the best offensive lineman in the Big 12. Offensive line is probably going to be fine. Defensive line is by far one of the best in the Big 12. And you just kind of go from there, okay, they've got good corners as well. Receivers, obviously, I think probably skill positions outside of Deuce is the biggest question. Like that's the matchup that if Oklahoma cannot block Felix and Khalid off the edge, if they can't have receivers get open on uh, Ecal, boy, in goodness gracious, dog, you okay? uh You have Ecal and Julius Brents. Like you know, you you go through the list and you're just like, man, that's if I don't know how well Oklahoma matches up with them. Um, and it's tricky, like. You look at the first, I think their toughest schedule, toughest part of the schedule is four of the first six games. They go to Nebraska, they have Kansas State at home, at TCU, who I don't think is any good, but offensively could cause some problems. And then you play Texas, and like, again, I have Oklahoma at nine and two, and whatever happens in the Texas game happens, right? Um, And so I do think they make the Big 12 title game. I don't know if they're the first seed, though. That would be my projection on Oklahoma this year. I have Kansas State, Oklahoma playing twice, um, but I again I don't know how it gets there. I, I think they're nine and two. I feel pretty good that Kansas State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State are their hardest games. So does that open up the door up for a loss at TCU before Texas? Uh, does that open up a loss on the road at uh, Texas Tech at the end of the year? Right, like uh, or at TCU? Like those are I think those are. Iowa state from a, like stylistically is always going to be a problem. Right. Um, but Texas tech and TCU are going to throw it all over the yard. And obviously Oklahoma should be able to match with that, but who knows at this point. Right. So Oklahoma is an interesting team. I I've said this, this year shouldn't matter. Just who cares. They've got a top 10 recruiting class, including some elite defensive players. As, as you know, some guys from Kansas city that can play football a little bit. Um, their future's fine. Like two years from now, people are worried about Oklahoma and the SEC. Like they're going to be fine. Um, do they go win the big 12 this year? I don't know. Do they make the big 12, the big 12 title game? I think they do. And again, I think it could be a like nine and three and 10 and two Kansas state playing in the big 12 title game again. And nobody wants to watch it um, because we all think it's going to be gross and disgusting, but someone's got to win it and someone's got to go to the sugar bowl. So that's kind of where I'm at beat Texas. You go 10 and two, you don't, you go nine and three. I think they probably lose to Kansas state and Baylor at home. Outside of that, I don't really have a good feel for, for anything else, but I guess the last thing I would say, I, I wish I had point spreads on the 99 season. So when you go look at Oklahoma's schedule in 1999, so I'm mentioning this just because like, obviously that's when Bob Stoops took over. Brent Venables was a part of that. In 99, Oklahoma, from what it appears, had a much tougher home schedule than road schedule. Oklahoma goes seven and five. They didn't lose a single home game, and they lost all their all their games on the road, <laughs> right? And so I don't think Oklahoma's going seven and five by any means. They're way past where they were obviously at in nineteen ninety nine but do they beat Kansas State and Baylor at home but have hiccups to tcu and and you know a, a, a you know, an Iowa state, right. Like, or a Nebraska even, right. Am I, is it the road games that comes and gets them this year with how tough the homes home slate is? Like, I, I'm trying to think of like all the outcomes possible. Obviously Dylan Gabriel's health is going to be the biggest paramount to Oklahoma success this year. If he gets hurt, they've got, they got no one behind them. um Davis Bevel was a third string last year at Pittsburgh. General booty was in junior college a year ago. So, um, Nine, nine and two, ten and nine and two, ten and one. Whatever happens in the Texas game happens. Texas is due to win, obviously. Uh, <laughs> it's been a minute, um, so we'll see. But I'm, uh, I think they make the Big Twelve title game. I don't know where the losses are at necessarily. I just have a stronger feeling that Baylor's f- matches up with them. Baylor matches up with anybody on the offensive and defensive line this year. So um Kansas State and Baylor give them give Oklahoma in terms of matchup wise the hardest fits they've got good defensive line that can cause pass rush dictate the point of attack in the run game uh and and you know be problematic for an offense that shouldn't have too many problems this year um but that concern those can certainly be some games that you look at and you go damn, Oklahoma just didn't match up well. Um, and, you know, maybe they can win a, you know, they lose to Kansas State in the season. I I would probably take Oklahoma to win the second one just by default. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I have Oklahoma playing Kansas State in the big total title game and then playing twice this year. I think I have Kansas State at 10-2, and two, but, I mean, I think
0: the ceiling's much higher. Man, I love that you are so high on my cats. And, frankly, if you were to give me 10-2, and two, I would take it and not even think twice about it. I think this is going to be one of the most compelling conference races this iteration of the Big 12 has ever seen. I know a lot of fans are probably going to be frustrated by the fact that the conference is likely not going to put a team in the playoff this year and that the top of the standings is just going to be a jumbled mess of seven and two or six and three teams. But I don't really think that's going to diminish the quality of football that you're going to see on a week in and week out basis. And even when I look at the bottom of the conference at the teams that are projected to be down there, I should say, in in West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kansas, those teams showed that they are capable at various points last season. KU, obviously, with the monumental upset of Texas late in the year. West Virginia went toe-to-toe with Oklahoma and Norman, and frankly, I think you're going to get a certain level of passion and enthusiasm from those players, knowing that they're going to be fighting for Neil Brown's job. This is absolutely a make-or-break year for him. Texas Tech, I think you're going to see a new... A renewed sense of motivation from those players with things having gotten stale with Matt Wells and the previous regime. I think they're going to be really excited to go out and fight for Joey McGuire, even though they have a really tough early portion of their schedule. But like I said, I think all of these teams are capable of going in and knocking off somebody. And if you are able to make it to seven and two in league standings, you will likely be able to punch your ticket to Arlington. And I'm not quite ready to buy tickets to the Big 12 championship game, but one game I will be attending in person is the Oklahoma game in Norman. I don't often make impulse purchases, but it just dawned on me late in the summer that it's going to be one of the last, if not the last opportunity I'll have to watch K-State play the Sooners in Norman. So decided to pull the trigger and bought tickets. So I'm going to be going down to Oklahoma with my dad, my brother-in-law, and a close friend. And you, as someone who's spent a fair amount of time down there and has gone to a number of Oklahoma football games, I just got to ask, what is the game day experience like and what are some of the spots that I should hit while I'm down in Norman? Well, one, you got to go, you got to do the campus corner
1: experience once, at least once. Uh, It's basically a block north of the stadium. And that's where, you know, the radio brought the pregame. People have radio at. And uh, you know, walk around the stadium, check out Heisman Park. I mean, Oklahoma—it's—it's it's really cool. It's on campus. It really feels like a, an NFL team in a small town. It's—it's um, it's awesome. I mean, there's a uh, there's something. It's—it's it's different, uh, and everybody knows that. I mean, I think I feel the same way about games in Manhattan at this point. Like Bill Steiner Stadium is just—it's different. Like Ames, I didn't get that. Like I got to come back here. Um, you know, I don't get that feeling in Fort Worth like I have to come back to this place. Oklahoma, you'll get that feeling of like I'm going to have to watch another football game here.
0: Thanks again for the recommendations, Keegan. I really do appreciate it. Very much looking forward to making the trek down to Norman. Now, before I do let you go, I'll go ahead and let you sound off. Tell our listeners about RPM Data and what it is now that you're doing.
1: You know, own operate a football analytics company. Uh, I do We do scouting, you know, prospect consulting for the NFL draft um, and a bunch of other things. But obviously, as it pertains to this conversation, that's kind of where this comes from. I covered OU football from 2017 to 2020. Uh, Hey, I got so tired of recruiting. I uh, I backed out of the industry, at least in the reporting sense. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, this is what I do now. And um, yeah, it's called RPM Data. And uh, we're based out of Oklahoma City.
0: Always an entertaining time talking to my man Keegan Renault. He's a great follow on Twitter, by the way, at Keegan Renault, K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U. If you're just wading into the world of advanced statistics in college football, I think you'll find his content to be quite enlightening and stimulating. And also, if you're not somebody who likes the advanced metrics in CFB, This dude is driving the K-State bandwagon this year. He is all over the Cats. He loves everything about Kansas State for the upcoming season. So either way, he's definitely going to be worth the follow. He'll keep you entertained throughout the college football season. That is going to do it for this edition of the Know Your Enemy Big 12 Preview Series. Again, I'm bringing on a guest to preview each and every Big 12 squad ahead of the 2022 college football season season. Thank you guys for listening, for downloading, streaming on whatever your preferred app is. A quick request, again, before I close things out, to follow us on Twitter, at college underscore Kimball, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is. With all that being said, I'll wrap it up the way I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know.